Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. Anxiety affects 40 million adults in the U.S., age 18 or older. This is 18.1% of the population. They also note that despite the fact that anxiety disorders are highly treatable, only about a third of those who suffer from them receive any treatment. This in and of itself is a tragedy because the thing about anxiety is that when we avoid facing it, when we don't confront it, when we turn away from whatever it is that we fear that's causing us that anxiety, we reinforce the false belief that whatever it is we fear is in fact bigger than us. It is just that scary and we cannot handle it. It's not true. We can handle it. That's the problem with avoidance. It feels good in the moment. It alleviates the anxiety in that moment. But in the long run, it reinforces the anxiety. It convinces us that, yes, I can't face the anxiety. I have to avoid it. And that's just not true. As the Anxiety and Depression Association of America states, anxiety disorders are highly treatable, but we need to move toward the anxiety. We need to lean into it. We need to face it. Because when we do, we diffuse the anxiety and we prove to ourselves that we can handle it, that the fear is in fact a lie, no matter how very real it feels in that moment. And today we're going to talk about how to do the hard thing, to do the hard thing now, to face the fear, face the anxiety. Psychotherapist Linda Ruvalcaba joins me to discuss how to face anxiety head on. She shares her personal journey dealing with her own anxiety, her experience as a therapist in therapy, and she also shares the techniques she finds to be most effective with her own clients. Here's a little bit more about Linda. Linda Ruvacalba is a proud Chicana, licensed professional counselor, and Arizona native. She provides psychotherapy via telehealth in English and Spanish, to adults dealing with issues such as anxiety, trauma, and grief. In addition to psychotherapy, she enjoys maintaining her therapy-centric Instagram account at therapy.girl, where she combines her passion for photography, nature, and self-care in posts that encourage vulnerability and self-reflection. My interview with Linda, up next. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my Love Smarter, Not Harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. 
Linda, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I first of all have to thank you because we've connected on Instagram and I know you've shared with me in DMs that you've shared my podcast with some of your clients and that is so wonderful. It's always been part of my mission is to, you know, as a professor and a former therapist, I was sharing all this stuff with my students and with clients and I thought, wow, I'd love to share this with more people. And so the idea of having a podcast so that I could communicate some stuff that I believe is so important and, and empowering and then for hoping always that other therapists would would find it valuable and share it with their clients as kind of something to encourage them between sessions and stuff. So thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm pretty sure my clients think I'm obsessed with you because I'm always like, <laughs> there's this Instagram account. There's this podcast. <laughs> like I know I said her name a million times, but really good stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're making me smile. Thank you so much, Linda. So this is a great treat. I love having therapists on the program. I love taking these strategies, like I was saying just a moment ago, and using these strategies that we learn in our clinical training that we share with clients. And I, of course, we work on ourselves as well. That's sometimes when the the strategy really becomes most powerful is when we've used it on our own life Mm -hmm. and then sharing it with others. So talk a little bit about your journey through your own disappointments, your own pain, and how you have had this pretty unique relationship with anxiety, which is something that many people experience. And you've, you've faced it head on. So share with the listener a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think that my my journey as a therapist and just in my personal life just really went hand in hand. I got divorced when I was 27. And at that time, I had just finished my master's in counseling program. And I was just starting out as a therapist. And while I didn't necessarily feel a lot of anxiety at that time, it was like kind of that first jolt of, you know, to the system of, you know, the life that I had been used to and figuring out what I wanted to do from there. So that was kind of like the first snippet of it. So at that time, I decided to do all the things that kind of advise you not to do after a divorce. (laughs) So, you know, I sold my house, I moved out of state, I went back to school, I was going to work on a a doctorate program, SID. Uh, So I moved to Los Angeles for that. And my time in Los Angeles was so amazing. But the most important thing was that that's when I started going to my own therapy. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of that process too. And so there was just kind of like a lot of self-exploration at that time. You know, I'd been with this person most of my adult life or yeah, pretty much all of my adult life. So it was a lot of just like discovering who I am and starting to get in touch with myself. And it was just kind of felt like dipping the toe in. And then a year later, I moved back to, I'm originally from Arizona, from Phoenix. So I moved back to Phoenix and, you know, continued working as a therapist, continued seeking my own therapy. And then I think a couple of years later, got into another relationship. And this relationship was the first one post-divorce. We were together for over a year and it felt so different. It felt uh, very much of like the stars aligning. You know, we had all these things in common. We came from the same hometown. Um, all these little, you know, synchronistic kind of things. Um, But then it ended and it ended unexpectedly and suddenly. And so I went from thinking that I knew what direction my life was going, you know, with not just in my work, but also in my personal life with this person to just feeling, I don't know, really lost, right? You know, you've talked about your own relationship path. And um, so I know you understand what that's like to suddenly go from, I think I'm going to be with this person to now, what am I doing? 
so that's really when my anxiety started and it was constant and daily and you know so uncomfortable so it made it so difficult to to work you know to focus on my clients and in general i just kind of try to be the person that um that practices what she preaches, you know, when it yeah. comes to my therapy sessions. So right. I knew that I wanted to do something different. Yeah. I find it so fascinating that, you know, the anxiety kicked in after a relationship ended and not even as much after the divorce, which if you compare the two, one would probably think, oh, the divorce was the bigger mm-hmm. loss, the the more profound, because like you said, you'd been with this person your entire adult life. And so that would have been such a dramatic shift of, okay, who am I without this person, without my husband? Who am I as I step into adult life now at 27 and really never having been an adult without a partner? Mm-hmm. So interesting. What do you think if, as you look back and reflect, what do you think about the, how was it that the anxiety was more salient and, and more impactful as a result of the relationship post the divorce? I think it probably had to do with, you know, my own feelings about the relationships. Like I really, when you talk about your, you know, the person that you're engaged with and how they're a great person, but it just kind of like wasn't the right match. Yeah. That's really how I felt about my ex-husband. Okay. You know, great person. We were great friends, but it just wasn't the right match. So that felt like when it happened, which was his decision, it was very like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see this coming. Like I understand and, and I'm okay with this. But when this other one happened with this first boyfriend post divorce, I was really sold. And once we hit that anniversary mark, I thought, okay, I can relax. I can, you know, just enjoy this relationship. I could just be like, this is safe and stable and this will continue. And then a month later was, you know, when he decided that um, it wasn't the relationship for him. So I think it was that like mental shift in my mind um, with that year. And, and I guess I should say like, I was married for a year. We separated a week before our anniversary. So I think in my head, I was like, a year is the mark when you know. Yeah. And now I know that's not the case. And yeah, so that really kind of caused that stirring in me, like down to my core. But that makes perfect sense now when you flesh it out there because it was like, okay, now I've got it right. Now I understand why it wasn't right with my husband because this is the feeling it's supposed to be. This Mm -hmm. is the way that we connect and we're firing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. And when you make it to that year mark, so you had a lot of beliefs that were also playing into this. Like once you make it to that year mark, then you know, and it's going to be your person for forever. Mm -hmm. And then to have that loss, that is very profound. And then it sounds like it must have then started tripping or triggering other beliefs that then allowed you to to probably get into a space of, oh, and since it didn't work out with him, how will I ever know when it's right? Right. I'm sure you start doubting like, oh, my, I felt so certain about this. This right. relationship felt so right. So how will I ever know who's right for me in, in, in the future? Yeah. So I definitely stayed single for a few years after that. I think one of the hardest things with this and you know again being a therapist we know we don't want to ignore the feelings right if we just try to shove them to that like mental closet they just kind of grow like a monster under the bed right so i wanted to let myself you know sit and grieve and feel and experience and also find how to build resiliency and with my 
you know, after my divorce, moving to LA, you know, I let myself experience the feelings, you know, talked about it in therapy and also had all these new and exciting things around me, Yeah, you know, in exploring the city, making new friends. I started traveling abroad a lot at that point. And so when this relationship ended, when I was back in Phoenix, I was just back home and there was nothing different in my life. Everything else was the same except for that. Yeah, that makes sense too. That mm-hmm. that that new life and I'm embarking on this new chapter and then to have with this next relationship to have all the same old same old and probably that feeling of this is this is now this confirmation that I wasn't able to get it right with what felt so right. Mm-hmm. And then that really kicked in some anxiety. And explain to the listeners, I think I think most people have an understanding of anxiety, although there's levels, right? There's people who go, I mean, we kind of, as you know, I, I'm a little concerned with diagnostic inflation right now. People seem to think, you know, if they're nervous, they're like, oh my gosh, I had a panic attack. It's like, well, okay, dial it down. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, you, you had nerves. But you're, you felt that at this point, you got into pretty serious and legit anxiety. And when you're in that moment, was it just when you would have these waves of anxiety and you said it was even hard to practice? And that, of course, mm-hmm. I love that you speak to going to therapy yourself. I think sometimes people still don't know that therapists, the good ones that I know anyway, are always working on their own personal oh, growth yeah. and development. And that mm-hmm. absolutely entails therapy for, I mean, I would say just checkups for sure. And that's a gift that you give your clients because, of course, you can't help your clients in their journey toward growth and development any more than you've been willing to explore your own exactly emotional well-being. But so when you were struggling with anxiety and then, like you said, it was permeating into sessions and having a hard time having the clarity that you need to have as a, as a professional and as a therapist, were you able to identify the thoughts that were fueling the anxiety? Or when you were in those periods, was it just so overwhelming that it was really hard to even nail down thoughts? Yeah, I think I experienced a lot. There were definitely thoughts happening, but what sticks with me the most now looking back on it, you know, a few years later is are the physical sensations. Mm, It's so physically taxing to the body to be constantly in that fight or flight mode, the body, you know, having a lot of tension. I felt just like jittery all the time. I felt just very uncomfortable. Like I couldn't sit still. I felt very, very shaky again, all day, every day, even if there wasn't a trigger or something to like activate that or a specific thought. And then, you know, the thoughts that do come into play are things like, and it makes me think of your recent episode about neuroplasticity. And, you know, she talks about a little bit of her breakup journey and, and, you know, wanting to to check the social media and that kind of thing. And, And obviously that doesn't actually help the anxiety at all. It makes it worse. (laughs) That's what I was doing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so normal. (laughs) And so not helpful, but so normal. (laughs) Right. Definitely, we think it's going to be helpful. I don't know what we really look for in that. But whatever we're looking for, it's not going to make us feel better in the end. Because even just seeing just the typical profile picture, nothing was added, that brings anxiety. At least to me, it did in that time. And, and also I want to add, so I was still in my therapy journey, mm-hmm. you know, for my personally, and I was being trained uh, to do EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And so I also wanted to experience it as a client, you know, before I started practicing with clients. So I was seeing someone who specialized in that at the time of this breakup. And so I, you know, 
he broke up with me on the phone one night. And so the next day I called into work. There was no way I was going in. I called my therapist. She was able to squeeze me in. And she let me talk that time. But then Mm -hmm. the next week, she insisted on the EMDR. And while I really love using it as a therapist, and I highly recommend it, I knew that's not what I needed. I knew that I needed to grieve and I needed to feel the feelings. And, you know, part of the EMDR is to, you know, decrease that emotional and physical disturbance that we experience from these events. But I I knew I needed to feel it for myself to, so then I wasn't going back and I don't know, trying to find it again later. So I thought that that really kind of threw a wrench into that grieving process for me in that she was very insistent and not hearing me. And it just kind of felt like it was almost mirroring, you know, the experience that I had in this relationship of not being heard. Oh, that reminds me of what Dr. Rhonda was talking about as well. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. yeah. Again, this is for listeners. This is the last episode on neuroplasticity and rewiring our brains from trauma and pain to being more effective and 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 logical and rational again. And it, yeah. And so talking about the frontal lobe and that sort of thing, but she had that experience of going to a therapist who wanted to do so much of the, let's tell the story of the pain and the trauma and the loss over and over. And it ended up reinforcing that for her. And so she felt also re-traumatized in therapy. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals. And we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. Now, Linda, so so for a listener who's out there going, but Linda knew that that wasn't what she needed. And it's a little scary to think that a, a client who hadn't done the training that you've done, that, that wasn't a therapist themselves, might have a, a problem with a therapist who was saying, no, this is really what we need to do. And they might have that little still small voice or their intuition saying, I don't think I'm ready for that. But they wouldn't maybe have the voice to be able to say that to a therapist. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so hard. Um, So I, you know, I did try to, well, I did speak up and I said, you know, they're insisting on processing. And so we're like setting up this memory and, and, you know, she's insisting on lowering the disturbance of it. And I'm, I'm sobbing in her office saying, no, no, like, I'm not ready to, to just let it go. Like, I need to feel it. And so eventually, like I did decide to terminate services with her, but I do really recommend to at least in your, in those sessions to voice what you need to someone, because while, you know, we might have all this knowledge and education expertise at the end of the day, the clients really are their own best expert. So voicing what feels right to you, what doesn't feel right to you and processing through that. Is, is healing in itself to have. So if she had heard me and said, okay, let's talk through this, you know, take a different approach. I think that would have been a really healing relationship for me with her, but she wasn't able to do that for me. And so, yeah, that became complicated. And then I went to another therapist who I was 
also wasn't great, unfortunately, but now I'm with someone who is. (laughs) And you know, I am glad you're sharing this because another thing that I'm sure you've heard this too from clients and I hear it from folks in my community. Oh, I tried therapy. It wasn't for me. And I always say, well, no, you tried therapy and the therapeutic rapport was Mm -hmm. not a fit. Mm-hmm. therapy is right for all of us, but they're absolutely, it's a relationship. It and is. just the way that we hit it off with some people and other people we don't have that affinity for, it's the same with a therapist. But I think it's hard. Again, we've done, we've studied this for our entire professional career. So we have a a, a bit of, of, of background and we can lean into what we know and you could advocate for yourself in that session. And it does concern me at times that people wouldn't know mm-hmm. to say, you know what, I actually, like you might've wanted to do EMDR at some point, but you weren't quite ready for it. Yeah. You just needed that time and that space to validate and to grieve and to process the emotions. And I think that's so valid. And in fact, I was just earlier today, I was substituting for my brother. He's a, a therapist and he teaches at a university and I, he has surgery this morning. So I was subbing for him and I was doing cognitive strategies, which of course, you know, I love <laughs> my audience knows I love this, but even as I was teaching the cognitive stuff, I was, I was reminding them that cognitive can seem a little cold and it can seem a little bit didactic and, and, and so directive that I was reminding the students that, but we always start with the rapport building and empathy. Mm-hmm. We always start with Rogers and then we go to wherever we want to go. But we always start with that empathy and letting the the client know that they are safe, that they're feeling heard, that they are, their emotions and their experiences are valid and should be acknowledged and, and that they are seen. And it sounds like you weren't getting that mm-hmm. with that therapist in that moment. And then again, with another therapist. So again, Linda, thank you for sharing that because I think people need to understand to shop around a bit is a very normal and wise mm-hmm. thing to do when you're looking for support. Yeah, it almost feels like dating. You could know it's a very intimate <laughs> relationship. So you got to figure out the right fit. <laughs> so true. So true. So what was what felt good about the final fit that you found, the therapist? And, and did you find her right right away as you were searching in and trying to grieve and process this breakup? So part of my therapy process is also always kind of finding someone of a different style, especially a different style from mine. That way I can learn firsthand from other people. So I went to, after that one, I went to someone who was, that was more focused on the body and body awareness and connecting Mm -hmm. with that. So that was a cool experience. And, you know, they had recommended me to a women's group and that was, you know, a good experience to just you know, connect with other women. And then a year later, you know, I found someone that just like fit a little bit better. And what I like about her is she's intelligent and can like, call me on my shit, you know, (laughs) (laughs) when I am, you know, trying to avoid something. And um, she's a little more psychodynamic. Mm -hmm. But and she hears me. She listens to me. If I say there's something I need or something I don't need or, you know, something I dislike, she really hears me and she's very present with me. And that's so important. And again, I just want to reiterate, I, I love that we delved into this mm-hmm. because it's something that I really haven't had anyone share 
the the steps that it took a while. It took you a while to find the right fit. And I'm laughing because you're right. It is so much like dating. (laughs) And that made me laugh, but it's so true. But that's because of the importance of it. If you really Mm want to get the the most out of therapy, like I always say, we're looking for epic love and extraordinary connection. It is the same. And I'm so glad you found that. And along the way you share with me previously when we were talking, you wanted to face your anxiety in a way that I think is a bit counterintuitive. Yeah. So, and I think it's so important because we know that if we avoid whatever anxiety is trying to, to whatever we fear, whatever is the fear, the, the focus of the anxiety, and it can be a lot of different things. It can be the fear of the future. It can be the fear of certain triggers because of our past, right? Anxiety can be so all encompassing, sadly. But when we avoid that which anxiety is trying to get us to avoid, we sadly, we reinforce it mm-hmm. and the anxiety becomes bigger and it becomes yeah. even more overwhelming because we, we, we avoid facing it. When we face that fear, we can diffuse it. But mm-hmm. if we avoid it, it sadly, it, it makes it worse. But you decided to face some anxiety head on by throwing yourself into very anxiety provoking situations. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So because I couldn't, you know, there wasn't really anything within that now lost relationship that I could really do to work on the anxiety there, I decided to start doing things. And there were things I wanted to do anyway, but um, I didn't really at that time have the friend group or people around me who were into these things. And so what I'm referring to are outdoor things. And so while I've always loved the outdoors, I think it's so beautiful, mountains, desert, oceans, doesn't matter. It's gorgeous. But I didn't grow up being outdoorsy. And honestly, I am was kind of afraid of everything. And sometimes I still am too, like throw a bug at me and I will probably flip out. And, um, so that was my way to start doing this. And this kind of like links back to the journey in connecting with myself and figuring out who I wanted to be and what really resonated the most to live a more authentic life was from back when I got divorced. So at that time, I'd had a Prius. I lived a certain life that was really a little bit more catered towards my ex-husband's you know, interests and sports mm-hmm. and everything. And so after that, I thought, no way. I got rid of my Prius. I bought a Jeep. Uh, definitely not as uh, great for the environment as a Prius. But it was with this intention of getting outdoors. And yeah. so in the relationship, that post-divorce relationship, we talked a lot about hiking and then never did it. I would suggest it and then it would just never happen. So I decided just to get out there and start doing it. And I didn't know anything about hiking trails. The parking situations would, you know, kind of stress me out a little bit. You know, it's all those unknowns. And anytime anything is unknown, you know, you feel that, at least for me at that time, especially, I would feel that anxiety start to creep up. But I just, you know, bought some cheap hiking boots, a cheap, you know, backpack with, uh, you know, the little hydration system and just got out, got out there on the trails. And this is, so this is in Phoenix where it's pretty hot and we do have lots of wonderful trails here because we're surrounded by mountains. But at that time I was hiking like twice a week in the middle of the summer just to get out of my head and work through stuff. Yeah, I bet you were. I bet it was brutal in the summer. I've been to Phoenix in the summer. It is, oh my gosh, like the soles of your sneakers are going to melt to the the pavement if you're on blacktop. If you're in the market for a graphic designer to help you with, well, a lot of different things, I highly recommend Sarah Jordan of Pixel Bash Designs. 
Sarah has a lot going on. She's a web and graphic designing, video editing, social media managing, doodling sticker maker with an Etsy shop. I reached out to Sarah when I wanted to convert some of my fave hashtags into a sticker sheet. Make it happen, take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life, of course, and true love is worth the wait. Sarah was a dream to work with. She took the time to fully understand what I was looking for and then quickly created super clever and on-brand graphics. She went above and beyond what I'd hoped for. For your next graphic design project, be sure to check out Sarah's Etsy shop at Pixel Bash Designs or find her on Instagram at The Multipassionista. So talk about facing the fears like when you would, I mean, there was all this anxiety, you're putting this all together. There's, I'm sure part of it was exciting because you were definitely stepping into your authenticity. I love all these very tangible like listen, I care about the environment, but the Prius is not for me. That was about my ex-husband, right? So Mm -hmm. I got to sell that car. I love all of these very tangible steps to really cultivate and discover yourself and then step into that. And so part of it was like, hey, I've I've always talked about being this outdoorsy person. So now I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm literally going to do it, but I'm scared to do it. And I'm sure in Phoenix, I'm sure there's things on the trail that could be scary. I don't know. Do you have scorpions and rattlesnakes and yeah. all those sorts of things? <laughs> right. So, so when you were feeling the, the, the keyed upness, I'm sure the emotions and, and the heart's racing at times as you start to put all this together and do this by yourself to really step into who you are, but also face your fears. Were you doing deep breathing exercises? Did you have some mantras that you're telling yourself as you're going down these trails or what kind of uh, tangible steps did you take? Yeah. So at first I think I, I would just kind of think through things. And this made me think again, that recent episode where she talks about the body movement and connecting with that. And while it wasn't necessarily coordinated, like a coordinated dance, like she talked about, there's some coordination involved with, you know, not falling off the mountain. So I would just kind of, (laughs) maybe some of these thoughts would still be kind of like rattling around in my head, you know, the anxious thoughts, the what ifs, the I coulda, woulda, shouldas. But there was something about being out on the mountain that just over time started to help ground me and started to help me be more present. So I could start to step away from those thoughts. I would focus on the beauty of things and the visual. So really admiring, you know, the saguaros and if there's a little bird and, you know, sometimes a hummingbird would come swooping down on me. To me, those are very meaningful because they connect with, I connect them with my grandmother and, Mm. you know, admiring just Phoenix, Arizona is so gorgeous. And this is really when I learned how to appreciate it so much more. So I really just got more present with what was around me in that moment. And that's really what the hiking helped with. I also started hiking with my mom a lot too at that time. So sometimes she'd come with me, sometimes I'd go alone. And that was helpful for our relationship too, to connect and, you know, verbally process and she would, you know, validate me. So we got a lot closer for that process as well. And then another thing I started doing, or that at least I did a couple times by myself for the first time was camping. I'd never been camping in a tent besides like at a music festival. And so I think this was two weeks after the breakup, I packed up my stuff, headed up north to Page, Arizona. If you're familiar with Horseshoe Bend and Antelope Canyon, I went and saw those. And I guess like the process along the way was just always... I feel anxious and uncomfortable and sad and upset anyway. 
So why not do these things that I've been wanting to do that, you know, might connect me a little bit more with nature and might help ground me. So that was kind of the first approach. And then, you know, later on, I started to try and be more purposeful to start to step away from those thoughts a little bit more to gain some distance from them because they weren't really serving me. So then it was practicing things like if you've done EMDR before, there's a technique in that 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 at least I always teach people before we get started called complace. So it has to do with that kind of like slow tapping to help calm the nervous system, picturing, you know, a safe, calm place, but you know, I'm out in beautiful scenery. So I'm usually just kind of focused on that. And then having some kind of mantra or positive affirmation of what I want to be feeling instead, and really working on, you know, calming the nervous system with that, calming the anxiety with that, and um, starting to build confidence you know, in myself, not just with this positive affirmation that I'm telling myself, but also just with the things that I'm doing that I'm, you know, literally conquering mountains. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this because you did the thing that was scary before you felt like you could do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think too often we think, okay, I'm grieving. I'm in pain from this trauma, this breakup. I'll do those things. I will. I'll do them eventually. But right now I just can't. And that's okay to be in that space for a minute. But also you didn't wait for your feelings to catch up. Mm-hmm. You, put, you, you put yourself tangibly into a space where when you're in the midst of beauty with mountains and hummingbirds, it forces you to get to where we know we need to be more. And this is the research that tells us that mindfulness and about being in the here and now is therapeutic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Because we get in our heads, we get ruminating about the past, we get freaked out about the future. And we know that there's power in being present. And when you go to a beautiful place, it's almost impossible not to be present because you go, you turn a bend in the in the path and you go, look at that waterfall or look Mm -hmm. at that mountain or look at that hummingbird and grandma's talking to me and grandma loves me. And she's with me in this moment. So you forced yourself in the here and now. Also, nature is something that we minimize how therapeutic it is in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm reading this book about all the losses that, you know, we, we have an entire culture that struggles more than we think we should. And I agree more than we should with depression and anxiety and so forth. And much of that has to do with the loss of connections. And one of the connections is nature because we're living in these sterile cities and we've lost that ability to connect, to be in awe of the beauty, which then pulls us, like you said, it pulled you away from the pain and put you in this presence of grandeur and beauty. And that in and of itself was therapeutic. And you did it by yourself, which I love as well. Because in the midst of doing things, I mean, you're, you're grieving the loss of a relationship, which is painful. And we talk about it on this podcast all the time. But by doing those things by yourself, you prove to yourself, yes, I imagined my future with him and I imagine that I'd like to have a life partner eventually, but that doesn't that doesn't negate that I can have beautiful moments by myself. Right. And that's so empowering. I love what you did. And it was grounding. Also, you mentioned being grounded by that those experiences. And then you faced your fear so that anxiety had to dissipate. It really had no choice because you kept proving to yourself that you could face those fears and do these things. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it, 
I mean, the end of that relationship really changed my life. The end of both of those relationships, they really changed my life in and put me, I feel like in the direction that I always wanted to go. Mm. You know, I always wanted to connect more with nature and not just, you know, admire the pictures of it or look at it from, you know, indoors. I want to be out there. I want, and you know, it, it really did just build up so much confidence in myself. And then um, what ended up happening was then I randomly connected with other people, you know, a friend of a friend, we went to a baseball game, he invited me to go with a couple other friends, I happened to be wearing a hiking shirt. And they said, Oh, we hike too. And I felt like I've, I very much still feel like a baby hiker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we connected with that and started hiking. And we hike all the time now. And they're my hiking and camping buddies. And then in the end, we I'm not sure if you're familiar with Havasupai, Havasu Falls. Uh-uh beautiful place here in Arizona. You have to get permits. They sell out in like seven minutes, no joke. And so with these new friends that I had, we got a big group together of nine of us and were able to get these permits. And this was um, two years ago now. So this was like a year and a half post breakup. And I was feeling a lot better by then. I was no longer dealing with that daily anxiety anymore, that sadness, you know, that had all you know, been gone because now I had these like new activities and new friends and, you know, new good feelings about myself. So, so we get the permits in February and then, you know, build up to it. And in October we go and, and, you know, backpack, have a soup by, stay two nights. And that first day we get there, I run into that ex-boyfriend's friend. And I was like, mm. huh, that's weird. Not surprised. Cause I know he likes hiking, but interesting. And then yes. the next morning, 6 a.m., I roll out of bed to go to the bathroom. You know, hair is a mess. I uh, hadn't brushed my teeth yet. And who do I run into? The ex-boyfriend. Uh... Yeah. So it felt like such a graduation to physically with the hiking to be able to do this really difficult hike. And then with seeing him and finding, oh, it's okay. All the worst things that had gone through my mind of what it would be like to run into him didn't happen. I didn't yeah. feel the anxiety like I did before. He didn't, you know, say any terrible things to me. It was pleasant and friendly. So by the time I got out of that canyon um, after our trip there, I felt like superwoman. I had conquered things emotionally, physically. It was amazing. I'm just struck by the fact that if you had scripted out probably the worst opportunity to run into your ex, (laughs) 6 a.m., camping, hair all a mess, (laughs) haven't brushed your teeth. (laughs) I mean, we want to run into the ex when we're like glammed up to go to some gala, right? And we've got like head to toe, hair blown out, makeup done by a professional, (laughs) stilettos on. And no, you're like, uh, okay, hi. (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> but I also thought, hey, he sees me being a badass backpacking yes. without him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I want to highlight that you talked about it was in those endings of those relationships, the divorce and then this this more recent ex, that you pivoted toward your authentic self. That mm-hmm. is so powerful. And I love that you took the opportunity to go okay, I didn't want this to end, but it did. So now what? 
And one of the things you did in your now what was to step toward who you were meant to be. And now in hindsight, which is 2020, and we don't have that available to us when the breakup is recent, I know. But also from all my heartbreak, I know that when you get a little distance and you look back and you go, I, like you said, you felt like superwoman. You're like, I would not have felt that empowered and and had that strength if I had still been with him. And so mm-hmm. it's not that we don't want to have a life partner. It's totally reasonable and, and a wonderful desire to have that partnership. But if it comes a little bit later than we planned, wow, can we see that as maybe even a better path than we would have scripted for ourselves when we were 22 years old? Can we see that as being a more empowered and an opportunity to develop strength and this security in your sense of self that you will carry with you forever? And you wouldn't have had it, not in the same way, if you hadn't had these endings. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm really glad with where not just life has brought me, but obviously I have done very actionable things for that. So where I have brought myself in life and that, like you said, like I could just turn inward instead of focusing. And at first, you know, with that breakup, it was very much focusing on what I lost, what I didn't have, how it was, what I wished it would be. But once I started to turn towards myself and find you know, stop fighting against the reality of the situation. You know, we just yeah. have to start with that. Just accept it ended and that can be okay. And it doesn't mean anything bad about me. Um, it just means it wasn't the right fit. And I can still be, I am still a good person despite that. And I can, you know, live more authentically, move more towards doing the things that I want to do with my life especially if I don't have to worry about, you know, someone else's interest in those things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are perks. And in those lonely nights, it's hard to remember those perks. But there are perks to being able to be at the helm. Like, you don't have to run anything by anybody. (laughs) You you can just do you. And I love the concept. When I was younger, in my early 20s, I remember I came across, I think it's a book, but the, the catchphrase stays with me, Necessary Endings. And I, speaking to what you just mentioned, I was one that resisted. <laughs> you know, I, when I was in love, I wanted to hang on. I white knuckled it because I had a hard time with that, getting that distance and getting that reality that, you know, it's not always a fit. And a necess- an ending sometimes is absolutely necessary in order for us to step into the person we are meant to be. And it takes a little faith and it takes a little, like I said, distance to be able to be like, okay, let me just trust that this is really what's best for me. And I know that's so hard when we're in the midst of it. So for anyone who's right there in that grieving process, I, this is not to minimize your pain at all. I hope that Linda's story can absolutely inspire you to believe that maybe you know, there, there, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that your path, though you wouldn't have scripted it with all these valleys and the pain, may absolutely be exactly where you're supposed to be. And I love that you just, you really said it so clearly. You became who you wanted to be through these necessary endings. And I remember when I called off my wedding, so I was a little bit more in control because I called it off, but I, I had that same kind of feeling of like, okay, now what? And mm-hmm. I just started playing tennis. I took up tennis lessons and I took French lessons again. All these things that I could have done when I was with my ex, but I didn't for whatever reason. Because when right. you're with a partner, you're, you're busy with their stuff too. Right. And I thought, 
this is an opportunity. I got some cats because I'm a cat lady. <laughs> I okay, fostered them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I love that. But yeah, so I was going to foster them initially, of course. And then, uh, yeah, 15 years later, they were still with me. So <laughs> failed foster placement, I think they call that. But really, it's all about taking those actionable steps. And one other thing I want to underscore, you said a few minutes ago, you were like, I'm going to be feeling cruddy either which way. So I can be feeling cruddy in my apartment, curled up in a ball, or I can feel cruddy hiking a trail and looking at mountains. Mm-hmm. And of course, then the the beautiful unintended consequence here is that you can't feel quite as cruddy when you're out right. there on that trail looking at those majestic mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the hardest part is just putting on the shoes and walking out the door, especially if you're dealing with depression, with anxiety, any kind of fears of like walking out of the house, but not thinking about it, I think is probably the biggest key there is don't think about it. Just do it. Just throw on the shoes and just start walking out the door before you know it, you're already outside. And so even if you don't, you know, do what I did and go out to a mountain, at least getting the fresh air, the sunshine and being present with, you know, what is around you is so beneficial. Yeah, I think uh, there's a Woody Allen quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, but something about like 90% of life is just showing up (laughs) and then letting everything out. Yeah. So just how do you do that though? So this is another little tangible moment. If someone is trying, you're saying, don't think about it. And of course, you know, don't think about the elephant in the room. That's all we think about, right? right? It's the elephant. (laughs) So, so I mean, and I, but there are ways to distract ourselves from our thoughts enough to get, uh, get our action to move, right? Get our body to get the shoes on, get into the Jeep and get to the mountain would you distract yourself with like putting on some music or something or kind of like script out? I can imagine maybe scripting out the night before. Here's what I'm going to do. I know in the morning, I'm not going to feel like doing this. Not at all. But here's my little roadmap. I told myself this morning, I'm going to one, put on my shoes, two, grab my backpack, get my water and three, get the keys and go and start driving to the mountain. And maybe even, I don't even know if I'll get to the mountain, but I'm going to at least do those three steps. Did Uh you ever kind of bargain with yourself or how did you get yourself to move towards what you knew you wanted to do, but sometimes the anxiety would fight you? Yeah. Sometimes it was really just, like you said, scripting it out, maybe packing the water the night before, maybe having the clothes ready. So it's like, you know, one, a couple less things that you have to do that next morning. And even like you said, sometimes it would just be like, okay, maybe you don't hike the mountain all the way to the top and that's okay. Maybe you don't even get on the trail, but just go for a drive and, and really pumping myself up with music, especially in the car would be really helpful. I almost think of it like not actually holding my breath, but like mentally holding my breath as in holding those thoughts Mm. and not really, you know, just kind of like keeping them there. We're not pushing them away. We're not pulling them towards us. They're just there and just, you know, pivot mentally and throw on the shoes, put on the hiking clothes, grab the backpack and the keys and go. Yeah. I've had one of my friends, her, her therapist used to say shelve it and she would visualize like a shelving unit in her mind. And those fearful thoughts or those thoughts that were trying to prevent her from doing what she knew she wanted to do, she'd be like, pack them up, put them on the shelf. They're still there. You're not denying them. You're not stuffing them. You're, you see them right there in your mind's eye, but you're going to shelve them there and, you're, and you tell them like, I'll be back. I'm coming back for you. Don't, don't worry. I'll still, anxiety, I will still give you your moment today. Yeah, right. <laughs> You'll get your time. <laughs> but you visualize it there and, and uh, almost like, okay, I'll, I'll tend to you in a minute. 
but there's something else I want to do. You very much compartmentalize, which then also just that mental exercise reminds you that you are more in control Uh than you think because anxiety wants to tell you you're totally out of control and you're going to have a panic attack any moment now and you're completely overwhelmed and anxiety is in control. And you remind anxiety, no, I'm still in control. And again, baby steps. I don't want to, I'm not trying to suggest that this is very easy to do, but some of these very simplistic Simple, not easy, but simplistic mindset strategies can really be pretty empowering. Exactly. So nowadays I talk a lot about, you know, I've, I've been working on other skills since then because anxiety is just something normal, natural emotion that pops up for all of us from time to time. And so now I talk a lot with my clients about, you know, other ways that you could kind of see that. So like picturing those thoughts like balloons that are in your hand, you know, with the little string and you're holding all these balloons or these thoughts and just to let them go. And they're probably at first going to pop right back in your mind. So just, Mm -hmm. you know, stick those balloons back in your hand and then just picture them, you know, letting go and then floating off again and do that as many times as you need to. And like you said, anxiety wants you to think like it's not going to happen. You're always going to feel this way. It's not true. It does pass. It passes like an ocean wave. It'll, you know, maybe wash over you, but then it'll recede. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. How do you make peace with anxiety? I, I love how you just said it a few minutes ago that it's it's part of life. And certainly at different seasons of our lives, it can be more overwhelming or more present. And then in other seasons, we can start to use these tools that you've talked about, these strategies, and we can dissipate, we can allow it to dissipate, but it's always there to some degree. Anxiety, we're hardwired to feel anxious. You know, we're, we're hardwired to look for the negative, right? Because the, those uh, our ancestors who saw the scary person and ran away from the scary person survived, right? right? The people who didn't have any kind of wherewithal of what was a threat in their environment, they were the ones who the saber toothed tiger ate. So we are, you know, anxiety really, it's protective. It's, it's meant to help us. And I think that's another way I like to frame it as well is, and, and Dr. Stephen C. Hayes talks about this, you know, the creator of ACT. He talks about the dictator within and you can make peace. You defuse from that anxious thought or that negative thought or that uh, dictatorial and, and, and critical thought. You make peace with it by saying, hi, dictator. I, I hear you. <laughs> I know you're here to protect me and you think this is a great way to protect me is to shame me and disparage me and get me all keyed up and get me anxious. So you kind of make peace with it that way. What other kind of strategies have you used to make peace with anxiety? And then, and I love that you're sharing some of this with your clients as well. I really use anxiety, any kind of feeling or even just physical sensation that I feel that might, you know, feel a little bit different from the neutral space. I use it as learning experience and not learning like now I need to, you know, implement this lesson, but just learning more about myself. So I really take it as kind of a message 
to turn yes. inward and examine, ah, okay, why, why am I feeling a little bit anxious right now? Why do I feel like I'm a little bit shaky? Maybe my hands feel really cold. Maybe I feel, you know, the stomach churning or however you might experience anxiety. Why might that be? What is it about this experience that is, you know, activating this? And maybe examining the thoughts that are happening with that. And I mean, generally, I think when we're feeling something, you know, something besides neutral, it's, it's meaningful, whether it's happy, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety or sadness, you know, it's probably a meaningful thing that's happening right now. And so what is it about this that is so meaningful to me? And maybe it's meaningful in that like, oh, okay, you know, when this person said this to me, I felt like they were saying that I'm an awful person. And so where does that really come from in my life? Oh, it comes from, you know, these other things. And I can recognize that that's not really true. Or maybe it's meaningful of like, oh, wow, I feel a lot of joy when I, I, I'm a sucker for sunsets. I love the colors. I don't know what it's like where you are, but the sunsets here in Arizona are the best. And so I feel like uh. butterflies in my stomach and lightness. And so I just really take it to be, to just learn about myself and find the meaning in all those experiences. I think that's so beautifully put. Because, you know, we talk about the thoughts that fuel the emotion and beneath the thoughts, there's always a meaning or a belief. There's, we're, there's a meaning we're just ascribing to our situation and our circumstances. And there's actually power when we realize that we can change the meaning of something. We don't have to ascribe to a certain meaning. We don't have to adhere to it. And I love that you're, you, you've made peace with your feelings in the sense that you're like, okay, hi, feeling. <laughs> what yeah. are you trying to tell me? Right. Exactly. What are you trying to tell me about my, and maybe my thought patterns are distorted and I need to identify some of my irrational thinking, or maybe I need to go deeper and go, oh, well, there's some meaning that I've, I'm, I'm giving to a situation that I don't need to. And that's, I think that's a beautiful way because I think sometimes with cognitive strategies, which you know, I love. Sometimes people can feel like, oh, but you're minimizing, you're dismissing my feelings. And it's really not. It's trying to get to the root there. Right, right. And the more we can understand about ourselves and how we experience everyday moments, then we can start to step, you know, take that step, that breather from the feelings themselves. So it's not so much the feelings controlling us, but just informing us instead. And then, like you said, we can then choose what we want to do with that. You know, where do I want to put the spotlight in my mind? What do I want to focus on? Is it this like negative core belief? Or is it that no, that I'm resilient and growing and that I can learn and I'm okay as I am? I love it. And I'm just thinking just as you shared so much your your personal journey and and how that really coincided with your professional development as well. And thank you so much for being so candid and open because I love the idea of, I think when we're not in the field that we're in, people can see us and, you know, whenever you tell someone you're a therapist, they always get like, oh, what are you doing? Are you trying to analyze me? You know, we're always like, listen, I'm off the clock, please. I'm just having a cocktail at the cocktail party. You know, (laughs) like, please, I'm off the clock. But I think people can see, they see therapy as kind of this mystical kind of enigmatic experience. And we're really just normal it. And I love that by you being so candid about your personal and your professional journey, we you've opened a window to see how a therapist's own journey absolutely informs their practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from what you've shared in the last hour, I'm thinking, what a better therapist you are oh, yeah. by virtue of all that you went through. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's not like necessary that we have had to have had the trauma that we're helping someone work through, but it can be really helpful, not just if we've experienced it, but if we have found how to cope and manage through it. That's the important part. 
is are we coping and managing? Are we practicing the things that we're trying to encourage clients to do? And I was briefly a supervisor. And so I would see it, you know, some of the people that I'd supervise or have consultations with that they were struggling and they weren't seeing their own treatment. So it's like, okay, well, no wonder your clients are struggling because you don't know how to sell them on it because you haven't sold yourself on it either. Exactly. I remember in my master's in clinical psych. So that's for anyone who doesn't know, that's where you learn to be a therapist. And I remember, I'll never forget, one of my professors said, you know, you cannot take anyone else in their own journey toward psychological and emotional well-being. You cannot take any of your clients any farther than you've been willing to go yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. your journey clearly displays this. Linda, what else do you have for the listeners? Any kind of parting thoughts about anxiety in general, facing your fears about managing that dictator with anything else you want to leave the the audience with? Yeah, that, you know, we're so often just afraid of feeling our feelings, right? That if if we dip the toe in, we're going to get sucked into that, you know, black hole of feelings. But it's not true. Feelings aren't facts. You Mm. can feel it and get through it. So, you know, that was my biggest lesson with anxiety and and facing it with doing, you know, hiking and camping and everything was that I was anxious about it anyway. Like I still get out out there and I'm anxious because I have more recently run into a rattlesnake. So I I felt the anxiety, but it's getting out there and doing it anyway. And that anxiety will go down. You will end up, you know, coming out of it so much better, so much more resilient. Is it Brene Brown who talks about, you know, courage is about feeling the fear and doing it anyway? Yeah. Yeah, I really, I very much live by that. I love it. I, I'm absolutely inspired by your journey and I'm so thankful that you shared it with my community. Linda, thanks so much. Where can listeners find you and join your community? Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. You can follow me on Instagram at therapy.girl. I also have a Facebook. I believe if you search in the search bar, it's at therapygirlaz. And I practice in Arizona doing telehealth. So if anyone is in the state of Arizona and wanting to work through some things, you can find me on my website, therapygirlaz.com. Great. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this. This was really fun and also brought me some anxiety and I feel so much better about it now. See, right. It's just part of normal living. You know, you're like, I'm going to be interviewed on a podcast. I'm feeling keyed up. I'm feeling anxious. (laughs) Public speaking, I think, is still the number one fear for most people. And this is kind of like public speaking. So look at you push through your anxiety. You're feeling better. Go take on the day. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is face your fears. You can do it, and you can turn toward anxiety instead of avoiding it so that you can face it and beat it. As always, it's been such a pleasure spending this hour with you. Thanks so much for joining us. The Love and Life support groups are starting up next week, so if you are interested in this at all, be sure to head over to my website, Click on the Work With Me tab and you can check out all the options to connect with me. Sign up for my newsletter so you are the first to know about all things love and life because the book club is going to be happening soon as well. 
If you have 30 seconds and don't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the podcast, I would be so thankful. It literally takes 30 seconds. Five-star review, please, and then one sentence saying what you like about the program. It helps others find us so they can join the Love and Life community. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.